please have open First John before you. You'll find that useful as we go in just a moment. I was struck by a few verses from Psalm 119, just as we prepare to look at this, this book again, First John. The psalmist says, open my eyes that I might see the wonderful things in your law. I'm a stranger on earth. Do not hide your commands from me. My soul is consumed with longing for your laws at all times. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would open our eyes this evening to see the wonderful things in your law. Lord, we pray that our souls would be more and more consumed uh, with a, a longing to hear from you, to know your will and your ways, and to walk in them. Lord, we pray that you would be with us this evening as we come to look again at First John, a book that's a, a little bit uh, tricky to follow sometimes. But Lord, we know that your spirit is waiting to speak powerfully to us as, as we look at your word again this evening. So we pray that you would come and speak to us just now. Amen. I, I hope you were able to stick with the, the rather long reading this evening. We have chosen to read First John, the whole book even though we aren't following it consecutively verse by verse in our preaching. So in a four-week series, we've just split the book into four quarters. So it makes for quite long passages. Um, I hope that even if you don't remember the details uh, of the long passage that Philip read for us this evening, you'll have noticed how this section of John's sermon is dominated by one major theme. He just keeps going on and on and on and on about love. John talks about God's love for us. He talks about the love that we ought to have for one another. And in chapter 4, verse 11, he decisively links the two. He says, dear friends, since God has so loved us, we also ought to love one another. If you've been here the last couple of times when we've been looking at 1 John together, you'll know that love is the dominant theme in 1 John. Well, if love is John's major theme, sin runs at a pretty close second. We thought, we thought about this last week, and we wondered together why a pastor who's trying to encourage a community to become a place of love would spend so much time talking about sin. And we discovered in the long run that the reason why, why John's so willing and so persistent in talking about sin is because he takes love seriously. He knows that there can't be deep and healthy and real relationships in a community that denies its own sinfulness, in a community where confession isn't at the heart and receiving God's forgiveness isn't central to the life of that community. We said last week that John knows that, that the love that he's urging in this community is under attack. So in his letter, he identifies two enemies of love. First of all, the sin in the community, 
that we thought about last week, and he, he insists that we admit it, confess it, and receive forgiveness for it. But then he moves on to a second enemy of love in the church, and it's the presence of antichrists. Now, that's going to take a, a little bit of unpacking, I would think. It'll probably surprise you to know that John is the only uh, biblical writer who, who talks explicitly about Antichrist. He's the only one who uses that term. Many of us are familiar with the, the notion of the Antichrist, but it's only here in First and Second John that the term actually appears, three times in First John and then once in Second John. I thought the best way to, to get a quick idea of what he's talking about is just to read those references to Antichrist in John's texts here. So let's look at them very quickly together. First John chapter 2 and verse 18. Dear children, this is the last hour, and you have heard that the Antichrist is coming. Even now many Antichrists have come. Now immediately, even from that first first reference, we can tell that this Antichrist John's talking about is not the, the same uh, counter-Christ uh, figure who's out to take over the world. He's not the beast of Revelation or of Daniel. He's not the, the figure who fascinates teenagers uh, and people who are obsessed with the end times. I don't know if you went through a, a phase where that was a preoccupation of yours or, or maybe still is. I remember being a, a teenager at camps where, where one of the things that we would have wanted to ask the, the leader in our dorm was, was all about the Antichrist. Uh, you just couldn't faithfully follow Jesus Christ unless you knew all about the Antichrist. Well, I don't think that's anything much what John's talking about. For the first time, or for the first thing, his use of the term here is plural. He's talking about many Antichrists. For another thing, John says they've already come. It's not some future figure, not something to do with the, the end times, still a long way off. Look down to verse 22 of chapter 2. Here we get a clearer picture of the identity of these present-day antichrists that John has in mind. Who is the liar, he asks. It's the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a man is the antichrist. He denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Turn down to chapter 4, verse 2. John continues there in the same vein, and he says, This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, but every spirit that doesn't acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. Although John's writing can be confusing at times, actually he's pretty consistent in these passages and we can very quickly build up a, a picture of the Antichrist he's talking about. He's talking about people who deny the humanity of Jesus. He's talking about people who, who represent Jesus as a purely divine figure. And John's final use of the term in, in 2 John verse 7 confirms that we've understood him correctly. Have a look. 
He says, many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as having come in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. So there we have it. The antichrist is the one who denies the flesh and bones humanity of Jesus Christ. Now, when you read John's letter, you very quickly get a sense that he's talking about real people. There are real people, false teachers, who have gone out from his community, and they're teaching this stuff. We're not sure what exact form their teaching takes, but somewhere along the line, they don't believe that Jesus was, was human, that he was flesh and blood in the same way that you and I are flesh and blood. They're going out and teaching, and this teaching, John says, has the spirit of Antichrist about it. Now, there's something very appealing, I think, to this teaching, uh, this line of thinking that, that these, these teachers are pushing. It sounds so religious and, and so spiritual to think about Jesus without having to think about him with flesh and bone. But there's a problem here. Because whenever we, we begin to think about Jesus in that way, we start to deny some things that are right at the heart of the gospel. We start to deny the, the incarnation. We start to deny the, the thing that we, we hold dear, that God did appear to us with a body. And actually, what these false teachers were teaching is a flat denial of what John famously told us at the start of his gospel, that the Word did what? The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. This incarnation, this becoming flesh of Jesus Christ is at the very heart of Christian faith and at the very heart of the uniqueness of our gospel. Now, this, this super spiritual Jesus, this Jesus without a body, he's still appealing to us today. It's not just a thing of the the false teachers of John's time. It's lovely to think of a, a super spiritual Jesus because suddenly our life with God can be supernatural, miraculous, glorious. There's nothing mundane or everyday or earthy about it. It's all wonderful. And our modern church, I would suggest to you, is full of this this humanity-less super-spirituality. More and more of our worship services, if you think about it, are designed to take us out of this world, to, to draw us up into the heavens, rather than to give us the opportunity of worshiping the real Jesus who loved this world, who identified with it and died to redeem it. In some quarters, the spiritual, super spirituality takes on a, a different shape. It's, a, it's built on charismatic foundations. All believers are encouraged to, to seek a second blessing. Everybody's regarded as second rate until they ha have spoken in tongues. Being a faithful husband or being a godly mum or an ethical employee doesn't cut much 
in these kind of communities. It's not exciting enough for this crowd. A super spiritual Jesus and the super spirituality that comes along with him is still very appealing. It always has been. The problem with a dehumanized Jesus and with a super spiritual approach to our walk with God is that it pulls the rug out from real community and real relationships. And remember, that's what we're about. That's what Pastor John is calling us to, to to being a community of real love. You see, once we start to direct our love at a Jesus who isn't human, our love simply evaporates. Once we take the humanity out of Jesus, then loving Jesus is no longer grounded in any way. It no longer has anything to do with real life. It no longer has anything to do with loving our families or our neighbors. And here's the thing. I'm sure you'll agree with me. It's an awful lot easier to go along to the big worship conference, to be caught up in the music, to raise our hands than it is to put up with a, a spouse who, quite frankly, is driving us a little bit crazy at the moment. It's easier to go off and seek spiritual experience with like-minded people than it is to love an angry teenager to build bridges with a rude neighbor, to spend time with a boring brother-in-law. All those things are so very, very human. And one of the things that we hoped for when we bought into life with God was that he would bring us out of all that, bring us out of the, the humanity and catch us up in the heights. It's at this point that Pastor John comes once more to our aid. He says that spirit, the spirit of Antichrist, the spirit that says Jesus has nothing to do with the flesh and therefore your living in this world has nothing to do with earthly relationships. He says that that can't be allowed in the community of love. John isn't into a spiritual Jesus He won't allow us or his congregation to be into a spiritual Jesus either. The only Jesus whom John knows is the Word become flesh. The Jesus whom he'd, remember that, the Jesus whom he'd seen preaching, the Jesus whom he'd seen healing people, the Jesus whom he'd seen raise the dead, the the Jesus with whom he'd rubbed shoulders, that's the only Jesus John knows. Look back to chapter 1, verse 1. John, right at the outset of his short sermon or letter, he tells us what he's going to talk about. He says he's going to share that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we've seen with our own eyes, which we've looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. So for John, the only Jesus he knows is the guy whom he had meals with whom he walked the roads of Galilee with. 
The only Jesus he knows is the one who, who washed the sweat and the dust from between his toes in the upper room. Jesus, with flesh and bones. It's a strange thing. You'd imagine that the part of Jesus that we would find hardest to accept is his divinity. But actually, for a lot of people of faith, we accept that pretty easily. The part that we struggle with is the notion that Jesus was human. Most of the deadly heresies that have blighted the history of the church have been on this side of the equation. We've struggled to accept that Jesus was fully human, at the same time fully divine. We've struggled to accept that Jesus had, had dirt beneath his fingernails like we did. Somehow we have come to a point where it's easy to believe that Jesus will save us from our sins and that he can prepare the way for us to be with him in heaven. But when it comes to living with a boss or struggling with family life, we, we just don't know that Jesus would understand that or be of any great help to us in that. Pastor John challenges this, this skewed way of thinking. He provides his community and us as well with a simpler rule of thumb. And this is going to help us to separate the truth about Jesus from the lies about Jesus. Look at chapter 4, verse 2. He says, Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that doesn't acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. This is powerful stuff, folks. Here we have our rule of thumb that we can use to evaluate uh, movements in church life uh, to see whether, whether they really are God-glorifying and whether we should be throwing our lot in with them. Anyone who denies that Jesus was truly human in the way that we're human has the spirit of the Antichrist. Now, nobody's going to do that. The church circles we move in, nobody's explicitly going to say, I don't, I, I, I don't believe in the humanity of Jesus. So let's not expect to see that articulated explicitly. But what about approaches to our life with God that implicitly deny the humanness of what God's called us to? What about that super spirituality in church life that we talked about a moment ago, whether it's based on a particular way of, of music and of worship, whether it's based on a, on a charismatic super spirituality, whether it's based on a highbrow theology uh, and a bookishness about God's word. What about these things that take us away from an earthy and everyday way of following Jesus Christ. Friends, I think that when we see those kind of movements in our church, we see today's variations of the Antichrist among us.
whenever the spirit of Antichrist comes into our community, it's devastating. And it's particularly devastating to this life of love that John has called us to. Because the spirit of Antichrist allows us to talk about love in ways that have nothing to do with actual people. Eugene Peterson talks about the dangers in these ways. He says, we're free to practice a love of God that consists of a mix of music, mountains, and inspiring feelings without all the distraction and bother of people. Whenever we deny the humanity of Jesus, we get to decide what love should look like what this love that God has called us to should be like. And inevitably, what we come up with is love with all the hard bits left out. It's love without sacrifice. Love without patience. It's love without laying down our lives for one another. We become people who love ideas and feelings, who love novelty and ecstasy, but we don't love God, at least not God revealed to us in Jesus Christ. And we don't love the people in the pews and houses beside us. Whenever Philip decided to invite Andrew along this evening, I had no sense of the timing of that and how that would fit in with what we're talking about here this evening. I personally find Andrew's visit a a challenge because when I look at the kind of work that Andrew's involved with, with youth initiatives there in in difficult communities in in West Belfast and, and now possibly here in East Belfast, I'm struck by the, the humanity of that the willingness to take Jesus Christ to the kind of places where Jesus himself would probably have gone. And I'm struck by how, how difficult I find that, and maybe we've found that in the, the traditional denominations of the church. I was struck as well by the song that played over the, the images that we watched earlier. I don't know if you you picked up anything of the words at all. The, the, the lyrics, let my life song sing to you. It was a wonderful illustration of what we're talking about here. Okay, the music singing to God, that's great. But what about our lives? And it was wonderful to see a musician who recognized that. Let my life be the song that sings to you. Friends, this spirit of Antichrist, it's a loophole. It's one that people in the church have always made use of, and it's one that we're making use of in our generation. It's hard to go to all the effort of loving real people whenever there's an Antichrist option for us, a Christ who isn't a Christ, a Christ whom we can worship and adore without troubling ourselves with real people. Antichrist is a loophole. Lots of people in John's community were taking advantage of it, and and so probably 
for many in the church today. John shuts the loophole. He challenges time and time again in his letter the idea that we can claim to love God if we don't love flesh and blood human beings. And of course, he's not the only of the New Testament writers who who challenges the notion of disembodied love for God. We noticed this in our communicants class here this week, and those who, who were here on Tuesday night will forgive me for using this illustration as we close. We were talking in the class about the impossibility of loving God, claiming to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, but not loving other people. We noticed a phrase, the phrase one another and each other in the New Testament. It's used 50 times more than 50 times. We're commanded to do so many things for and to one another. We're commanded to love each other, pray for each other, encourage each other, admonish each other, greet each other, serve each other, teach each other, accept each other, honor each other, bear each other's burdens, forgive each other. The one that I would be most nervous of, we're supposed to sing to one another. Um, That would be more of a blessing in some cases than others. Submit to each other and be devoted to each other. Do you see how central the life of love is to the life of discipleship? Without committing to a bunch of flesh and blood people and loving them, you actually can't obey a huge proportion of the New Testament. These one another commands don't work if you don't have people whom you're, you're loving. If we don't take seriously the humanity of Jesus and his command to love other human beings, obeying God's word is beyond us. Let's wrap things up for this evening. John identifies two enemies to the life of love in his letter. Sin, when it's not taken seriously, when it's not confessed, when it doesn't receive forgiveness, that sin will always drive us apart. When we're content to sin against God and to sin against one another, then we have demonstrated that we're not interested in love. And we've seen this evening that second enemy of the life of love, Antichrist, the spirit that denies the humanity of Jesus. Whenever we get rid of the human Jesus at the heart of our Christian faith, we can get on with feeling spiritual in whatever way we define. It might feel nice, but it's not going to draw us into a life of love with real human beings beside us. Friends, our life together, this life that we're called to, to love God with our hearts, souls, minds, and strength, to love our neighbor as ourself. This life's always going to be lived out in the context of sin and of antichrists. John never once recommends that his community get rid of these. 
Instead, he flags them up. He asks the community to be alert to them and aware of them. And he asks the community to be aware of these dangers and move forward, trusting in God, loving him, and loving one another. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you this evening for the wisdom of your word. Everything that we learned last week seemed pretty straightforward to us. Of course, it's obvious that sin, unconfessed and unforgiven, would damage our life together. But Lord, you've shown us this evening how a super spiritual approach to our walk with you, an approach that has more to do with whipped up emotions and spiritual feelings than obeying a concrete flesh and blood Jesus. Lord, you've shown us this evening how that also will destroy the love that you long to build in our community. Lord, you've shown us the dangers of sinfulness. You've shown us the dangers of the spirit of Antichrist. <coughs> Lord, teach us now to walk through these dangers with the help of your spirit. <coughs> teach us to be a, a confessing and a forgiven people. Teach us to be a human and a well-earthed people that we may love you and love one another for your glory. Amen.